at Portview, we set aside a week at the beginning of the year uh, for prayer and fasting. And that was on our calendar. You knew that that was set aside last week. And we have a real intention for that. We don't do it just because it's a tradition. Um, we have a, a reason to try to do it because we always believe in prayer. We always believe in fasting. We always believe in connecting to God. But we want to set aside that, that one week to endeavor to start the year off on the right foot. And I don't know about you, but I'm easily distracted. I can get, I can get going on the wrong way. And so we often have to do things like communion is a process of getting us you know, back on the right foot. So we do that regularly. Um, the week of fasting and prayer is the same thing. It's to start our year off on the right foot where we're calling on God and, and what we're really doing is we're opening up our lives to the Spirit's activity within us because that's what we want. We want to grow in, in Christ, right, in Christ's likeness. And so we, we set our year off that way. And usually during that week, we do some kind of a fast. We've done Daniel fasts. We've done all food fasts. We've done all different things. I encourage you to, to cooperate in that or participate in that in whatever way you felt um, or what you'd like to, and then in combine that with prayer times. Well, this year, we approached it a bit differently, and I really felt the Lord months and months and months ago, probably six months ago, really, I really felt the Spirit speak to me about that particular week and, um, and this coming year. And that To approach that week of prayer leading into the year a bit differently, that instead of having some kind of a corporate food fast, you know, which I always joke with you during those times, especially when I don't, when I don't eat for a week, I just die for a butter burger. I don't know why that is, but that's the thing I want. Um, but instead of doing that kind of a fast and having that kind of a reaction, that we would focus on something that I think is much more important than the butter burgers that we eat. That I wanted us to think about and hopefully make some adjustments in our lives regarding our consumption, it's still consumption, consumption and involvement with media. In particular, and I'll explain what I mean as we go here, in particular, our continual connection um, socially through smartphones and tablets and computers, and, and obviously you could also say through televisions and radios. But I believe, and I'm not alone in this, and I hope I can explain this as I go, that I'm not just trying to be some fuddy-duddy or something, but I believe that our media-centered existence in the culture that we live in today, that they live in Germany, that everybody seems to live in, that our media-centered existence is having a very real effect on our spiritual lives. And that the effect it have primarily is not positive. I think there's some positives that can come from it. I can use these things in a positive way. But I think the cultural way it's functioning right now is is having real negative spiritual effects in our lives, and I don't believe we even recognize it. So, um, so I wanted to do an experiment last week, and I hope you participated. I wanted us to make some adjustments in our media involvement for seven days. And hopefully it's going to lead into, a, into further than that, but seven days, and see if we could find that by making some adjustments or some elimination or some restrictions on our media involvement, instead of finding that we lost something, that we actually would discover that we found something. And so we have this, this idea of you know, weapons of mass distraction that you guys got magnets and flyers about last week. And in that, we, we just suggested that you do three things in some regard. That you would do, uh, have a media-free Sabbath. Now, what's that mean? Um, something's going on this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Does anybody know what it is? 
I think our sign alluded to it today that God doesn't have favorites, but we do. Go pack. Um, it's okay. I'm not saying you can't watch a television. But what I'm really thinking about in that media-free um, Sabbath primarily is your constant connectivity to things that isolate you. Your, your smartphones, your tablets, headphones, those things. That our, that our Sabbaths would be, and we'll talk about this in a little while, but your Sabbaths would be time where, where you disconnect from other things in order to connect with your family and with God. And so a media-free Sabbath, and you can make that look however you want. I think a great thing to do is just take, have, a, have a rule in your home. And uh, remember, you, we don't, rules, we don't, rules don't dominate us. Rules, the Sabbath was not, um, man, was, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And so rules and regulations are meant to help us. And so a great idea would be, hey, I, how about on the Sabbath we, we all put our cell phones away? We don't use our iPads. We spend time together. Or at least for this block of time on a Sabbath day on a Sunday or whatever day you have your Sabbath. So one media-free Sabbath. The two is two consecutive hours of solitude. Um, that you would take a block of time to be alone. Talk about that in a little while. Three 30 to 60 minute times of silence. Nothing else. Just silence. And it was, if you notice, it was supposed to be cute for your transformation. One, two, three, four. For your transformation. And I hope you as you did some of those things, you had a positive experience over this past week. Now, obviously, the plan was, is I was going to preach a sermon to set that up, and then you were going to do that. Well, I messed with the plan. And, um, and our staff, Pastor Chris, um, they stepped up, and they did a great job of, of taking that forward, you know, and trying to kind of guess at some things because, uh, you know, my sermon I was going to preach, we'd, a lot of the stuff we do as a group, but they didn't exactly know how I was going to approach it. And, and so today what I want to do, because I wasn't here last Sunday, and, and last Sunday was great, and it led you into this week, is I'm going to preach, a little changed, but preach still the message that I was going to preach to kick off the thing, in hopes that what you experience this week, you can now carry forward into this coming year. And so in this idea of, let's be honest about our media involvement. I want to start by doing this. I want to tell some history and information about our, our meaning the average American. We're the, we're, it couldn't be much more average American than us. You know, we are. What, what the average American usage of social media is like and its effects. And then what I want to do, I'm going to talk about that, some kind of the history of it. Then I want to give you five must-haves in our age of mass distraction. Five things that I think, you're not going to change it, but five things we could build into our lives to make us thrive in the midst of what's going on. And then I hope we can incorporate those five must-haves into our daily lives. And then I hope we will experience genuine blessing and refreshment and insight as a result. So I want to begin, this I want to kind of tell you some history first. I want to begin by reading two paragraphs from you from an excellent article that was published last year in the New York Magazine. And it's entitled this, My Distraction Sickness and yours, by a guy named Andrew Sullivan. Now, Andrew Sullivan is an interesting guy as I researched him a little bit. He's not a Christian. He has some Christian-influenced backgrounds in, in England where he grew up. Um, he lives an alternative lifestyle and um, is in well-connected in media and has, has been a blogger. Not a Christian at all, but surprisingly, the reason I'm using his article is he seems to see this problem of 
of distraction through media so clearly, but he especially sees it as it pertains to Christianity in the world. And he writes about its effect on spirituality and Christianity as a guy who calls himself spiritual. And if you want to read this article in its entirety, and I would, I would really encourage you to do it, um, this article is going to be linked to this podcast on our website. And so you can go read it. Again, remember, I'm not saying it's a Christian man writing this article, but I think his conclusions are exactly right, especially as they pertain to the church. So let me leave just two paragraphs from, from this. It's a lengthy article. It must be 10 or 15 pages long. He says, in his survey of how the modern West lost widespread religious practice, she was a non-Christian writing about how Christianity has lost its place in America. Um, the philosopher Charles Taylor used the term to describe the way we think of our societies. He called it a social imaginary, a set of interlocking beliefs and practices that we can under, that, that can undermine or subtly marginalize other kinds of beliefs. We didn't go from faith to secularism in one felled swoop, he argues. Certain ideas and practices made others not so much false as less vibrant or relevant. And so modernity slowly weakened spirituality by design and by accident in favor of commerce. It downplayed silence and mere being in favor of noise and constant action. The reason we live, and this is, this is an amazing statement here, the reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable. Which is what people say, oh, you know, the rotten science and they're attacking creationism and all this stuff. He says baloney. He says the reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable. He's saying it's not provable. But because, listen, the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. The English Reformation began, he says, one recalls, as an assault on the monasteries. And what silenced the Protestants didn't banish, the philosophers of the Enlightenment mocked. Gibbon and Voltaire defined the Enlightenment's posture towards the monkish from condescension to outright contempt. The roar and the disruption of the Industrial Revolution violated what quiet still remained until modern capitalism made business central to our culture and the ever more efficient meeting of needs and wants our primary collective goal. We became a civilization of getting things done with the development of America in some ways as its crowning achievement. Silence in modernity became over centuries in anachronism, which means something from a past age. Even a symbol of the useless superstitions we had left behind. The smartphone revolution of the past decade, and listen to this, can be seen in some ways simply as the final twist of this ratchet in which those few remaining redoubts of quiet, the tiny cracks of inactivity in our lives, are being methodically filled with more stimulus and noise. That, that in itself, I could say, amen, let's just go chew on that for a while. Now, I know that, that these paragraphs, two paragraphs, he's covering a whole lot. He's painting with some very broad brush strokes. 
commenting on the loss of silence and quiet over a large period of time, all the way back to before um, uh, the Protestant Reformation. But I think his, his view is very accurate. We are living in a time when the changes of the past few hundred years have drastically affected our human existence, which has drastically affected our spiritual lives. And we are living in a time where we have experienced the greatest game changer in regards to this, to silence and disconnection of all times. Not a bad thing, but it's a real thing. The greatest game changer of all time in all history to this issue is the smartphone. Where in the, in the past, people were busy still. They would be engaged in activities and be distracted through, through engagement but then would disconnect between activities while doing things simply like driving or walking or standing in the grocery store line or even going to the bathroom. You would disconnect. There would be free space in our lives. Even if they were little periods of time, there was free space in the human existence. But now, even those little cracks of time are filled with information and stimulation. And for most people, the only time when we are disconnected in a connected world is while we sleep. And we're finding sleep studies that we're sleeping less and less and worse and worse because we're so connected we can't even disconnect mentally at night. The number one prescribed drugs for the number one problem are sleep aids because we can't even sleep. And as the article says, this elimination of silence, of times of, he doesn't say it like this, but what's he saying? Times of thinking and wonder and, and imagining and processing, the elimination of those times, he says, has removed the very stillness in which faith might endure or be reborn. In other words, we are living in such a noisy and continually connected age that we are being robbed of the silence and the mental free space that we need to experience God. And I honestly believe that opinion is absolutely true. One study in 2015 found that young adults, average adults like we are here, were using their phones, their, their smartphones, five hours a day at 85 separate times. But when they were asked, how much did you use your phone, they estimated less than half of what they were actually using in their lives. Now, am I saying that Cell phones are evil and tablets are evil and the internet is evil and we should just all throw these things away and get rid of them. Not at all. You know how grateful I am for computers and smartphones two weeks ago? When I sat in a German hospital, my wife spent five days, this is no lie, I don't know how, I I would still be in Germany without technology. Because we needed three doctors from three different organizations to agree to let me back on the plane. The airline doctor, the insurance company doctor, and the hospital doctor all had to agree, but they wouldn't talk to each other. Guess who had to talk to them? Half of them spoke German. Half of them spoke English. Guess who had to communicate to all of them? Suzanne. She did it through scanning papers, Google translators, um, faxing things, calling places, um, being on the Internet. It was a constant thing she did for five days. If she would have been in the bed and I would have been there, she'd still be there. I would have absolutely no idea how to do all the things she did to get me out of that. Out of that. I'm like, honey, do what you've got to do. Get me out of here and get me home. 
And she did it. So I appreciate those things. I'm not saying at all that those things are bad. Um, I appreciate, my family appreciates, I think you appreciate the fact that every day Suzanne made a post on Facebook and said, okay, he's not dead, hooray. The next day, he's breathing in a hospital, hooray. You know, then one day a picture of us, a selfie walking out of the hospital, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty I'm free at last. You know, you guys got to follow all those things on social media. That's a good thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I want us to realize a truth. In the midst of us, I want you to realize a truth. This connectivity, primarily tied to cell phones, tablets, I believe is the greatest weapon of mass distraction that humanity has ever known. Matter of fact, the, the idea of the term mass distraction comes from this article I quoted. That's where I got it from. That humanity has never known up to this time. It may be, it may be a bigger challenge in the future because they're going to implant it in your forehead or something. You know, your phone's going to be in a chip in your hand. I don't know. But up to this point, this is the greatest weapon of mass distraction that mankind has ever had to figure out how to use. And man has usually figured these things out, but I don't think... This is this, like the guy said, it's a final ratchet turn. Kind of like, it's now, Rob, the last little bit of free space left. And an overuse of, of this connected media is having a very real and a very negative effect on our spiritual lives and, I believe, on our social lives, our ability to, to interact with one another. Our addiction to constant external stimulation is robbing us of those moments of quiet and stillness where humanity meets with God. I really believe it. I believe it's robbing. It's robbing us of genuine human-to-human interaction where we see and experience the reality of the image of God in other people and that image challenges us. I think it's robbing us of that. And there's another thing it's robbing us of, and you would think this is a good thing, but it is a terrible thing. And I want you to hear this. And I hope I can explain what I'm trying to say clearly so you get it. Because this is maybe the biggest thing it's doing. This constant connection is robbing us of the gift of experiencing mental and spiritual and emotional discomfort. When somebody is uncomfortable in any situation... Anything, just uncomfortable in silence, uncomfortable with what's going on. What do we do in our day and age today? Pull out our phone. What's on Facebook? What's on Twitter? That the constant connection is robbing us of the gift of mental and spiritual and emotional discomfort. Discomfort that is meant by God to push us to search for answers. To face, uh, to, to face, uh, force us to cry out to God. I'm uncomfortable, so I say, God, I can't make it another day. It forces me to cry out to God. It causes us to abandon less meaningful and unimportant involvements in order to search for and find more meaningful and important involvements. Discomfort does that. We don't feel or live in discomfort because we allow constant activity and continual stimulus to distract us from discomfort and numb us to reality. And you know what I mean. You feel uncomfortable. What's the first thing you do? You grab your phone. What's happening? It's robbing you of the gift of discomfort 
that God has given you, He's created you that way, so that you will wrestle through something in your life and come to a conclusion that robs us of the growth and the discovery that God wants for us. That's why we need that mental free space in our lives to to this, to feel uncomfortable, to feel hurt, to feel lonely. If I don't feel lonely because I'm connected to somebody who I don't even really know through through my phone, how can I ever cry out to God and say, God, but you are the one that's here for me. I won't. It robs me of that. Well, the reality is we live in a world where this distraction is just the norm. It's just, it's just the way it is. And we aren't going to change it, and it's not going to do any good to curse it. But I do think there are some things we can do to help ourselves live spiritually and emotionally healthy lives in this unique time that has squeezed out, every, the possible, possibly has squeezed out every opportunity for free space in your life. And so I try to think, God, what are the most essentials? What am I doing in my life? What am I trying to impose in my life and put in my life to safeguard myself? What could we as a church put into our lives, build into our lives, so that even though the world is going to be even more connected somehow, and I'm not sure how that's possible, but it will be. Trust me, it will be. How can we thrive in the midst of that? How can we not be, how can we still use it for good, but not let it rob us? in ways that are so detrimental to our spiritual lives. And, and, I, and I've come up with five must-haves in our age of mass distraction. I've done something a little different. I'm not a big alliteration guy. You guys know that. But I'm going to give you five S's. We're going to go through them kind of quickly because I'm not sure how long my voice is going to last anymore. Five S's. So you can remember them. You can write them down. I tried to say what are the most important. What things do we absolutely need if I can, if I can, so, I can, so, I, so I can still be connected to the world around me but not disconnected from God and other people? And I think these are the most important ones. The first S is this. It's silence. We must schedule times of silence into our lives. Times when we turn off the music, we don't watch and listen to another YouTube video about laughing goats. Right? Every, every spare minute, I look at people. They got their phone out. What are they looking at? Oh, a YouTube video of fainting goats or laughing goats or whatever. Are they funny? Sure, they're funny. But we must schedule times of silence when we resist the, ch- the temptation to fill up every available a bit of free space by checking Facebook or Twitter, somehow being constantly stimulated and connected. Now you might say, some of you are, well, those things are silent. I can read Twitter and watch Facebook. How is that silent? Let me explain something. There's more to silence than external noise. There is an internal noise of continual stimulation and connectivity. The goal of silence is to try to get away from that. I made a definition. I don't know if this definition anybody else would agree with in the world. But to me, true silence is being alone with your thoughts. Being alone with yourself. Being alone with your thoughts. You can be quiet and fill your mind with other people's thoughts or pictures of their fainting goats. 
That's not really silence. True silence is being alone with your thoughts. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still or be quiet and know that I am God. Think about something. This, is, this, this should maybe make a real difference to us. The psalmist writes Psalm 46 in a time before cars or planes or electric lights or televisions or smartphones or radios or anything really that we in our lives are the things that cause noise. Before the Industrial Revolution, there were no machines. In a day when the loudest thing was a blatting goat or a neighing horse or a screaming child, in that day of almost, where, where when the sun went down, there were no electric lights, there was no music playing, it was just dead silence. In that day and age, the psalmist, knowing humans need to disconnect from activity and noise, says to people of that day, you need to be still and know that I am God. He knows that there is a human need to disconnect from activity and noise in order to experience the reality of God in our lives. And friends, in comparison, think about it. We live in the noisiest time there has ever been. Ever they could have imagined a world like we have. The psalmist could not have imagined the noise that we live in. So we must commit to creating silence in our lives so we can know God. We can hear Him. So I think the first thing we need is we need to build silence into our lives. Second S, solitude. This is connected to silence in that it's about eliminating noise, but it goes further. In solitude, you get away from interaction and activity for a period of time. It's more than a passing moment. And in solitude, that's why I try to say two hours of solitude this last week. In solitude, what it's about is you are alone together with God. And that's the way, it, it, that's my definition of solitude for me. I, I came to that the last couple of years, alone together, because this is an oxymoron, alone and together. How do you put that together? Alone together. Alone together with God. That's what solitude is. Being alone together with God. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus, it says this about him. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Like the psalmist, friends, Jesus lived in a day with much less noise and distraction than we ever have. But he knew he needed solitude. And what's it say? If Jesus had to often withdraw to lonely places because he knew he needed solitude, what's it say about me? He got a way to be alone with the Father. Do an experiment. Get alone for a few hours if you didn't do it this week. Some of you said, yeah, I wasn't able to schedule that in my life. Do yourself a favor. This is not for me. This is not for God. This is not your earning checkpoints for God because it doesn't work that way. God couldn't love you more than he loves you. Do yourself an experiment this coming week or next week. Get alone for a few hours. No people, no texting, no checking Facebook. No TV, no music, just alone, solitude, you with God. That's what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention to how you feel. Because I, I will venture a guess. You're going to feel uneasy. You're going to feel uncomfortable. 
Because we're addicted to stimulation. After 15 minutes, you're going to go, what do I do? What do I do now? And you know what your temptation is? Because it's my temptation. Pull out my smartphone. I love my iPhone. Except Siri never tells me what I ask her. I don't know. We speak different languages. I ask Siri a question. She never gives me the answer that I want. I love my smartphone. Use it all the time. Set aside a couple hours in solitude, and you know what you're going to find? You're going to find yourself uneasy. You're going to want to turn on the radio. You're going to want to turn on the TV. You're going to want to turn on, you look on your phone. You're going to want to do something to distract you. God wants you undistracted so he can speak to you. Remember something. It was in solitude that Elijah heard the quiet voice of God. He said it wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the wind. It was in the still, quiet whisper of God. He needed to get away and get alone and get quiet in order to hear That's solitude. I believe we need to build in times of solitude into our lives. It's in this environment that we experience God's reality for ourselves. So solitude. Number three. Sabbath. Talked about it a little bit already. Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what's it mean for us? doesn't mean some legalistic, orderly, keeping things. Jesus broke that view apart. You know, his guys picked rain on the Sabbath. He healed on the Sabbath. It didn't mean what they thought it meant. It meant to be, it was supposed to be a gift to man. What is Sabbath? Setting aside one day in seven, and there's something very important about that. It's one day a week. If we would set aside one day in seven, uh, we'd be much more spiritually and physically and emotionally and relationally healthy. Setting aside one day in seven for rest and worship. A day that we center on God. Yet He's the center. We say we do that every day, but we know we really don't. We try to in little ways. But Sabbath, God knows this the nature of humanity and says, listen, I know you're going to be busy, so I'm setting this, this process up. Now, here's the deal. He says, in a world, the world's not going to agree with what you do. The world's not going to want to do what you do, but you're my kids, so live different than the world. We, I understand the ideas of, of shift work and, you know, my, I got two, two nurses in my family. Guess what? They don't matter. It's not like Germany. Germany, uh, we, one of our doctor friends who's from the UP uh, was in constant contact with Suzanne trying to tell her what to do. And Suzanne said, well, I can't see a doctor for three days because it's a national holiday and it's a weekend. And she said, I'm moving to Germany. She's like, what? They don't work on the weekends? Oh, doctors don't work on the weekends. You just die on the weekends, you know. Um, but uh, we live in a world where that's true. Now, so I'm not saying it means you can't work your job. But how do you set aside one day in seven somehow to center on God for rest and worship? And I'd suggest that one of the most important things you could do on what, however you create your Sabbath is to simply disconnect from media so you can connect with God and others. Now, I, in thinking about Sabbath a number of years ago, one of the real issues for me was, could I watch a Packer game on a Sunday? Could I do that? That was a, My wife and I talked about that a lot. Could I watch a Packer game? I concluded I could for a reason. I don't really care if they win or lose. Not that much. You know, I don't, didn't like Jermichael Finley. I used to get mad at him, right? You used to yell at me when we'd watch it because you're like, leave Finley alone. <laughs> so he'll always drop the ball when he's supposed to catch it. In the most important time, he's gone. Um, you can do things. The idea is what's your heart? And so you know what? Um, 
today, it was, I know there's, a, there's going to be a Packer party here. I was being honest with myself and said, there's no way I'm coming to church preaching and then going to be awake at 2 o'clock. I'm going to go home. But I'm going to watch the Packer game um, with my kids, and, um, or one of, three of my four. And one's going to be sleeping because he has to work. Um, we found out we can, have, we can have Sabbath and have the Packers. Packers don't make a scream, yell, get mad if they win. I always tell somebody, as I'm getting a little anxious, I'll say, remember, everybody, if they win or lose, we don't even know those people, and it doesn't affect our lives one bit. Monday morning, we've got to go to work. I'm really talking to myself when I say that. And so we've tried to say, you know, could I disconnect from media? Maybe the best thing I could do is, would, would be to not watch a Packer game. I'm not there yet. But you know what? Could you do this? Could you shut your phones off during the Packer game? And the whole day? Or maybe just put them on silent because I understand that sometimes you've got to be connected for some reason. You know, your work needs a call or somebody's ill or whatever. But, that it, but you would just put it in a bowl on the kitchen table and everybody would put their phones in there. Disconnect from media so you can connect to God and others. I think we would all benefit if we made a commitment to turn off our smartphones and our computers on our Sabbaths. Ruth Haley Barton, who's a leading teacher on this, says her, and she's a very busy lady and an author and a, and a teacher, and she leads a, a center for spiritual transformation. Um, she turns off her computers and her cell phones from the, morning, from the more, beginning of the morning to the end of the day and the Sabbath. She said, I have no media connection. A lady who would, could easily say because of her lifestyle, I have to be connected. It's my livelihood. She goes, no, God's more important. Believe it or not, you won't die if you don't see a post, another post about somebody's lunch. You know, it's the most, the most commonly thing posted on Facebook is food. I have never, forgive me, but I have never taken a picture of my food and posted it on Facebook. I just don't get it. You know, I don't get it. You can do it, but I don't get it. You won't die without seeing another picture of what somebody ate for lunch. And guess what? And now you're going to be mad at me. When the Packers do good or bad today, your posting on Facebook isn't going to change it in the slightest bit. I don't understand what's saying, I can't believe what Rodgers just did. And it pops up on Facebook and you go, I go, okay, why did you post that? Now, some of you are getting mad at me right now. I know it, but I'm just asking this question. Could you really live? Would your life really be less if on Sunday or whatever your Sabbath is, you just didn't use your, the connectivity, that other level of connectivity. You know what would happen if you do this? You might actually be present with your family and your friends and with God on that day. Listen, if you don't have your head bowed in worship to your device. I thought about that. Think of the imagery of that. Your head bowed in worship to your device. Just saying. If you today, and I really hesitated putting this in my notes, this is why I write my sermons instead of winging my sermons, because I think about things. I usually get in trouble when I go extemporaneously. But I thought it, and I thought this is the right thing to say. Not as a way of condemnation. I've been being funny right now, okay? But not, I'm not being condemning right now. If you couldn't make it this far through my sermon without checking your Facebook or your email, you just might have an addiction to social media. 
maybe that's a sign that you need regular periods of time scheduled in your life where you're disconnected. Do you understand what spiritual um, disciplines are, what soul training is? Spiritual disciplines are disciplines that we incorporate into our lives to help us grow and open up our hearts and make our hearts available to the activity of the Holy Spirit. When we do spiritual, certain spiritual exercises or disciplines, we all do. You know, it's prayer and Bible reading, and we need to do those things. Worship, attendance, that's a spiritual discipline. But we also have to be honest about our individuality. So, for instance, a spiritual discipline that I need to do is silence. There's a reason for that. I talk a lot. My discomfort, when I get uncomfortable, what I do is I talk. And so it breaks the discomfort. I'm in a room and there's no one talking. I get uncomfortable, so I say something. It's taken me years to figure out that's why I do it, but that's why I do it. It's, I'm uncomfortable, so I talk. So I need spiritual disciplines in my life that will force me to open up my heart to the available presence of God so he can deal with that area of my life. If you couldn't go through church without checking your Facebook or Twitter or or searching for something on email, um, I would say this. You absolutely need to schedule times of silence and solitude and Sabbath into your life because it's a revelation that that's an area that that you need the Holy Spirit's intervention in. That's what soul training is all about. It's a gift from God. It's opportunities. We say, God, here's an area that I know I need help with. So if you're a total introvert, you know what a spiritual exercise you need? You need to be in a connect group. Or you're, you go, but I don't want to be in a connect group. And you know what? You don't want to be in a connect group. You need to host a connect group. And you need to, and you need to um, offer some comment in the conversation in the Bible section during the connect group. You go, but I don't like to do that. Well, guess what? I don't like to be quiet. I'm being quiet right now, aren't I? <laughs> we build into our lives those things we need to grow and learn. That's, that's what soul care is about. That's what spiritual disciplines are about. So build Sabbath into your life. And guess what? Besides this, Sabbath isn't an option. When Jesus, oh, when the Father gave ten commandments to his, to his people, he had, ten, he had ten commandments. It wasn't nine commandments and a suggestion. It was ten commandments. He said, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number four. The fourth S is this. It's system. System. Now, this one and the following one are not so much about something particular to do, but more about how to do it. You know that whenever I tell you, how to, you that we should do something, I really try very hard to sh- explain to you and how is that possible. These next two are about that. How is it possible? System. What I mean is I mean that you need to create a system for how you are going to combat this epidemic of over-involvement with social media. You need to think about it and create a system in your life. Um, There's a saying, an old saying, and most of you know it. It says, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. Familiar with that? To fail to plan is, in other words, if you don't plan how you're going to do it, you're, you're just saying, I'm planning to not do it. I'm planning to fail. The current of our culture pulls us along in ways that are not best for us including the connectivity we have with things like connect phones, smartphones. To do what's best for us, we must have a plan. We must create a system in our lives. This is easy for me. It's how my brain works. I create systems for everything. Some of your brains don't work this way, and I'm encouraging you to do something that might be uncomfortable for you. You need to create a plan or a system 
for how you're going to incorporate things like silence and solitude and Sabbath into your life so that you can combat the constant connectivity that is robbing you of so many of the things that God wants to bless you with. We need to create a system. The system, historically, the system is called the soul care plan um, or a rule of life. That's how the historic church, the monastery, is called the rule of life. What things do I need in my life so my soul is healthy? Soul care. I try to think of it like this in my life. Um, I try to break my life down into daily, weekly, monthly, and annually. And I look, what things do I need to build into my life? And I sit with God and I say, what do I need? So I know daily I need to have a morning, do my morning confession, something I've written that addresses all the weaknesses of my life or many of the weaknesses and insecurities of my life. So I go through a morning confession. I did it this morning. And it tells me the things that are true from God's word about me and about him so that I start my, my life on the right path. Let me give you an example why this is so important. Um, Friday, um, Suzanne, I, she was at the airport on Thursday. I'm all by myself on Friday. Um, I'll take, take it back. I'm talking Saturday morning. Saturday morning, um, I had nothing I had to do on Saturday. I actually, because I had nothing to do, I scheduled an appointment with somebody. Um, I might even be here. Um, because I'm like, what am I going to do by myself all day? And I'm not feeling well. It's not like I can go fishing. you know. Um, and I got up and I was feeling kind of sad about myself. Like, I'm sick. I got hauled off a plane. You know, no one cares. I'm going to eat worms, even though I know you all care. But I was by myself. My wife was gone. My kids were gone. And I'm kind of sitting there by myself saying, you know, poor me. It lasted about that long. Here's the reality. If I wouldn't have done the right thing, it would have lasted all day. You know what the right thing was? I needed to go through my morning confession. I didn't want to do it. I didn't feel real well. I hadn't slept real good. Um, I had this cough, which by the grace of God, I've not coughed once during this sermon. It's awesome. Um, and I was just kind of being a putz. I'm like, you know, I'll sit and watch westerns all day, eat too much, you know, drink too many sodas. And I did my morning confession. This starts off the first line. God, that you love me unconditionally. And you want the best for me today. I thought you want the best for me today. And when I go through these lines of my morning confession, then I think and I pray about them individually. I thought, you want the best for me today. God, I know you want the best for me today and you're able to do anything. And the reality is, you could have healed me, made this never happen in my life. You could have made me better the day I got after you know the thing on the plane. The fact is, I'm still sick and it's a couple, two and a half weeks later. Um... You just probably have something good in store for me. You want, you're trying to teach me something through this. I would not have come to that conclusion if I would not have done my morning confession, which is the same morning confession I do every day. So every day there's things I need to build in my life. There's things you need to build into your life every day. My, um, I have weekly things, um, Sabbath, monthly. I told you this before, but I schedule a day of solitude and silence into my calendar every month. It starts at 7 in the morning-ish and it ends at about 5 o'clock at night. If you call me, I won't answer. I don't come into church. I get alone. I try to be out in nature, which is hard for half the year in Wisconsin. You know, it's cold and nasty, and I can't sit and read out in the woods. So I find something to do somehow. I get away. I get away from all of you. I get away from my family. I get away from, from everything but God and me. Solitude, alone together with God. I need that because my life is constantly connected to people. It never stops. Now, that's a good thing. I love it. I love you guys. 
but I need times of solitude in my life, so I build it into my calendar. Is it convenient? No, a lot of times it's not convenient. You know what? Once in a while I cancel it. I look at the calendar, I look at, it, I look at what's going on, and I go, I can't be gone. i got a million things to do. And I make the bad choice of not doing it. And I lose because of it. And then I tell myself next month I won't do that again. So we build those things in there. We need a system. It doesn't matter if you do daily, weekly, monthly, annually. Annually, I know I need a silent prayer retreat, so I do one every year. I know I need it. For my health, I need it. It's my soul care. You know, in that plan, address the need to have times where you unplug, where you free up your mind to think and process and dream and pray and be uncomfortable and listen for God. You have to create a plan where you don't allow every bit of free space to be absorbed and filled with your social media. Number five. Five last S is strength. I'm just going to be real honest with you. You need strength to make the right choice, which is often the harder choice. To say to your family, mom and dad, and I'm not saying you should do this, but this is a suggestion you could do. Our Sabbath is Sunday, family, and we're not going to use our phones or our computers on Sunday. I know the war you're going to have. Uh, You're the worst parent in the world. I hate you. All my friends, Pastor Mark's kids get to, you know, whatever it's going to be. You know what you're going to endure? It takes strength to make right and hard choices. Most often the right choice is a hard choice. Paul, in, the letter, in his letter to Philippians, where he was in a really hard situation, understood this and he wrote this. I can do all things. Not by my own strength. It's not what the verse says. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. It's his strength in you that allows you to do hard things. And friends, in a world that's always connected, it's hard thing to turn your phone off on your Sabbath. It's a hard thing when, you're, when your world is all about staying connected and you're good feeling about the thing that, that you, you don't want to be distracted or you don't want to have that silence because it allows you, allows you to feel uncomfortable. It's a hard thing to make a decision and say, I'm going to give myself these areas of free space every day of my life. It's a hard thing to make that choice. It's easier to avoid and just keep going and stay the way you are. Stay the way I am. It's not God's plan. His plan is to develop in Christ-likeness. We have to understand the situation of our times. It's unlike any other time. And as Christian people, we need to be smart. And so we have to have strength to make hard choices. In a world that's always on a go, it is hard to set time aside in solitude just to be, listen and to be. Because there's going to be a hundred things that people want you to do. A hundred things that are important. You need to ask yourself this question, what's the most important? And, and, and ask the Lord to give you strength to make decisions to focus on that. It's in Christ's strength. That we, are, that we are empowered to do hard things. And don't you just imagine that he loves, God loves to help you do 
those things that will strengthen your spiritual and emotional lives? Of course he does. He loves to help you do hard things. So, let's wrap up. In a noisy, busy, ever-stimulated world, our commitment to silence and solitude and Sabbath and system and strength can help you flourish. My challenge to you is to take an honest look at your life. Maybe today. Packers don't play till noon. Two. You passed your test. Packers don't play till two. That is what I meant. It's only not even 10.30. You got hours. Maybe you want to take a little bit of time. You want to sit aside, aside as a family or as individuals. And you want to take an honest look at your life. Talk about this issue, your constant connectivity, and make some choices that will help you better connect with the Lord instead of being constantly connected to fainting goats. And as a result, you will grow in Christ-likeness. Hearts filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Isn't that what you want? That's what we want. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, that you love us so much. Thank you that you have given humankind incredible ingenuity. That that ingenuity in so many ways has made our lives um, fun and blessed and easier, more joy-filled. We can stay connected to family across the world. Think of parents in here whose kids live in other states and God thank you for for FaceTime and Skype. And we can we can stay connected. Thank you. But Lord give us wisdom to not allow a good thing to become a bad thing. Give us wisdom to disconnect in ways that are effective for us. Help us identify the truth of ourselves that usually God the main reason we stay connected as we don't like to feel discomfort. That discomfort comes in solitude and silence. Help us to live in that, in that tension. Help us to experience it so we get better. So Lord, in a world that is ratcheted up and there's like no more free space, I pray you would help our future to every person in this place. That we would, with wisdom, and intention, approach our lives, make plans that help us to succeed under your direction. I pray now for your wisdom just to flood into our hearts and our minds. Give us the mind of Christ so that we can lead ourselves and our families. We can be models for our co-workers and our kids. Lord, and what it's like to be connected to God in an overly connected world. Thank you, Jesus.